This is Pat Soundbites Unplugged. Unplugged, the podcast where all the artists go to tell it as it is. Careers, music, tours, and more. And here's your host, the man that refuses to eat squid, Pat Calamari. Hey, Pat Calamari here. Welcome to another edition of Pat Soundbites Unplugged podcast, where I do my best in keeping new music alive. Episode number 203. Well, we keep rocking, and we got rocker Mr. Joel Holstra. And Joel is uh, releasing his new album for Joel Holstra 13, entitled Crash of Life. And we have a great chat. I mean, it really brought me back to his first album of Joel Holstra 13, Dying to Live. And he also had number two, which was Running Games. But I really loved the first one more than the second one, but I really dig this one. And really new is he has a new singer, Garish Pradin. I hope I'm saying that right. Garish in the Chronicles. Garish is a singer from India. And this is uh first time on vocals with Joel this time around. And filling out the roster is bassist Tony Franklin, drummer Vinnie Apathy, and Derek Sheridian who's Joel has had on his albums before. And I need to say backing vocals and my good friend Jeff Scott Soto. Great chat with Joel. This album really gives you that rock-soaked 80s atmosphere. Um, love torn into lies. Uh, we talk about the goal of the record, about the new singer his songwriting process and then we touch upon the other he's got so many projects great projects i should say revolution saints iconic um he has instrumentals out there vhf is a great album very high frequency uh, we talk about white snake and uh how david's doing and if you've never seen Joel do an acoustic show with Brandon Gibbs, you really need to do that. So, yeah, Crash of Life was out on Friday, June 16th, courtesy of Frontier Music SRL. And you can see um, all the singles that have been released uh, on uh, Frontier's uh, YouTube channel or, or go to Joel's and go out and buy this album. It's a great great album and another great chat with Joel and as always if you like what I do don't forget to hit the subscribe button hit the like button share with your friends go to my YouTube channel again this was a zoom you can go to my YouTube channel I've had sound bites unplugged podcast radio show and uh, hit the subscribe button hit the like button for that okay enough of me as always live love and laugh a lot because life is way too short here is the incredible Joe Holstra. You know him from Whitesnake, TSO, Share, and many, many others. Hey, everybody. This is Joe Holstra of Whitesnake, and you're listening to Pat's Soundbites Unplugged. Hey, Pat Calamari here. Welcome to another edition of Pat's Soundbites Unplugged podcast. Keeping new music alive is what I do. And I always do this wrong. I got this Zoom stuff, Joel. I got this cat with me, returning guest, honored to have one of the hardest working musicians in the business. I mean, the resume tops the charts. Forget about the albums and the records. 
I mean, where do we begin? Rock of Ages, uh, White uh, Night Ranger, White Snake, TSO, Iconic. Uh, I wrote them all down, Joel, somewhere here. The Legend Share, Monsters of Rock Cruise. Cruise. I love V of uh, VHF. We got to talk about that. I got to. I got to talk about that. And the, of course, the acoustic uh, show with Brandon Gibbs. And I'm sure I'm missing. Oh, the super group Joel Holster's thirteen. And I'm sure I'm missing a few, like maybe Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. If you're lucky, maybe you can do a couple of lessons for you online. I don't know. The amazing Joel Holster joining us tonight. Joel, how are you? You're looking great, my friend. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for taking the time out. Oh, absolutely, man. I love the album. Uh, Joel, along with Frontiers, I got to show love for Serafino and company, have announced the absolutely. upcoming third release for his solo project, Joel Holster's 13, uh, titled Crash of Life. I got him blocking the artwork here. We'll talk about that, too, if we get a minute. Officially comes out June 16th. A great, melodic Joel Holstra rock album. Go get it today. Go to Frontiers and check that out we're going to chat about that congratulations my friend like i said i love the album i kind of thought you stuck to your hard rock classic rock roots um it brought me back to um dying to live more than running games so i'm going to start with joe what was your primary goal um with this killer album um and well i'll get to the second question later but you're trying to stay i mean you got Vinny, you got uh tony you had derek Obviously, uh, Jeff Scott Soto, except everybody, except for your lead singer in this record. What was your primary goal in trying to, when you were making this record? Well, same as usual, just release a great rock record, you know, of songs that represent my influences. You know, I, I think, you know, the initial sound of this project was kind of defined as Dio-ish at its heaviest and Foreigner-ish at its lightest. And, um, I think you're right in that it's like dying to live and that it's maybe a bit more diverse running games. I think the songs were a little bit more like they all kind of shared a common bond in the sound. And um, with this one, I would say there's a lot of my influences are present. Um, so thank you to Frontiers for giving me artistic freedom to go ahead and uh, you know, go ahead and, and express that. Um, so I'd say while still the core sound, that middle ground is kind of that Dio-ish kind of thing. Um, I'd say that there's influences on this record from, you know, say Zeppelin pokes its head through, um, ACDC pokes its head through at times, you know, maybe in that melodic rock world, um, Let's say, you know, Dokken or Queensryche and come poking through at times. And uh, uh, I definitely in the ballad world, you know, that's a difficult one for me to describe where it comes from. But, you know, that my ballad stuff has always kind of had a little bit of that journey foreigner kind of vibe. And some of the heavier stuff goes, you know, I'd say inf even influenced by Megadeth or Metallica riff wise at times on this record. So they, it's a diverse sound and record and uh, interesting one to promote when it comes to choosing singles. Cause you go, well, I mean, you know, I I'd say that this is a, this is an album um, where I didn't necessarily shoot for like poppy singles as much. I just went for like good rock songs. And I feel like I've achieved that where like literally every song on it is kind of like, yeah, that's a cool tune. 
Um, I would I would say that unlike dying to live and running games, it's not as obvious. Like what? Oh, that should be the single. You know, those those kind of had those melodic tunes. Like until I left you or hard to say goodbye, that were like, oh, those are the singles. This one I just kind of went with like you know rock and roll, man. You know. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, yeah, I go, you're crazy. I think I played Scream and die uh, until I left you forever. It was like I'm like Joel, you gotta go on tour and. Yeah, I gotta go on the Monsters of Rock Cruise is what I gotta do. Um, uh, what were they saying? So, um, were you looking to explore a new singer? I mean, Russell Allen, and I know I just with Jeff Scott Soto down the city a few weeks ago with uh, Jason Bueller when he does his little acoustic thing. Um, were you looking for yeah. something different or Frontiers uh, recommended this uh, garish? I'm gonna screw his last name up. Pradam, am I saying that right? Yeah, I, you know, I, Americanizing it a bit, uh, Girish Pradhan, right. you know, um, but I would say, yeah, I think, you know, between Russell's schedule, like, you know, how, how long it took really for to, for him to do running games. And, you know, Russ is somebody that wants to be in a band if he's going to support it, like video wise and things like that. And um, so, you know, in expressing some of that to Frontiers and how we can move this forward, they kind of suggested Girish and um, with his band, he's fantastic, but a little bit more of the screaming kind of almost early Skid Row vibe, you know. Um, so I just kind of sent him some stuff. And as it went, I realized that he can really do it all. He's a real chameleon and uh, really knocked everything out of the park as far as what is required on one of these albums, where which is a little bit more just about like singing the songs. It's not necessarily about screaming so much. So um you know the model had always been that ronnie james dio to like lou graham or paul rogers you know be soulful to have a be able to you know belts higher or growl you know have a little <laughs> bit of that talk. ronnie james dio vibe so girish is a real chameleon he really um terrific versatile musician um you know uh i think that between him doing this and the end machine that it should help find his band a little bit more popularity as well. So hopefully it, it all works out in the end for all of us. Yeah. I mean, I, I dug once I'm like, who is this guy? And then I asked Jeff about him. Jeff's like, the guy's fantastic. Jeff's like, man, you got to definitely check him out. He's really, I'm like, he goes, he could hit the screaming, but then, you know, um, what did I write? Uh, Torn of Lies. I mean, he just comes down. I mean, he can go. His range is incredible. He's uh, he can cover it all. Yeah, Torn, Torn into Lies is a great example. I'd say of a song that he gave a tremendous vocal performance on that without relying on necessarily the screaming um, or going with that kind of vibe. So yeah, it's a you know he's just a legitimately great singer. No doubt about it. Yeah, I gotta I gotta chat with him and listen to more of his stuff. Uh, Garish and the Chronicles is what we're talking about. You want to check him out on YouTube. Yeah, that's yeah, um, his band. Yeah. We gotta we gotta show him a little love. Joel, talk to me about your songwriting process. Is it does it start with a guitar riff? Is it maybe a chorus? Do you take different approaches to different songs or your ideas or different records? Yeah, I'd say this this album in particular was very driven by riffs. Um some of them definitely had vocal melodies as I wrote the riffs. Um, but kind of went to Vinny, uh, who is the first person to record on these records with, um, 
more so than the other ones, just riffs like, you know, where he was like, well, hey, you know, what's going to be happening here? And I said, just jam man, just play and it'll all work out. Don't worry. Don't don't stress, you know. Um, so everything worked out. A lot of times I'll play the vocal melody or I'll have a guide vocal on there for him for stuff. Eventually I do that for the whole record anyway, for the lead singer. I was basically always a version of me singing these albums and then the singers, you know, um, kind of do, you just sing it a lot better than me basically. And then uh, put their own spin on it. You know, um, Gear, Gearish followed what I sang on the guide vocal. I'd say quite, quite a bit more than Russell Allen. Russell Allen tended to do his own thing a bit more with it. Um, but that, you know, it's just apples and oranges, you know, it's, I mean, Gearish is any, either one of those could sing, the guys could sing circles around me. So to have them singing on it is a better move than me, you know, stroking my own ego going, no, I want to sing on my album and et cetera. So, you know, I think it's a smart move. Uh, well, I got to say, you uh, you opened my eyes when you sang at Daryl's house bringing up Chris uh, Cafferty. I, I want to say it was like an ACDC song. And I'm like, I kind of was thinking that. I'm like, why isn't he singing a little bit more? But I know you got the guitar in your head and you're like, I'm, I'm a happy guy. So uh, we'll let Brandon do all that like work. Yeah, I mean, with that, you know, with Brandon, I usually sing that Doors song and, uh, and that gives him a vocal break. It gives me a chance to, you know, growl a little bit and sing some Jim Morrison. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then I tend to kind of have the screamy thing in my wheelhouse a bit to be able to do the ACDC and and even, you know, my own little version of Zeppelin at times. And But um, as far as that middle ground of me being legitimately a great singer, I don't know that that it really exists. Um, I'm kind of like, you know, okay. You know, um, I sing backgrounds in the bands I'm in, and I love doing that and being a part of the background vocals. But um, I, I don't really see myself as being a lead singer. I love Torn Into Lives and Over You. How important it is for you to, to throw in some ballads on the record to kind of change the flow a bit. Is that is that like something you're always aiming to do? Yeah, I mean, I think you take a look in go like as you're compiling riffs and song ideas and go, what does it need? And so some of the stuff that I wrote later on was the heavier stuff. Like everybody knows everything and far too deep. I was like, it needs some really, you know, heavy tunes too. Like, you know, I didn't want to, I wanted to get dive into the heavier end of the spectrum, um, which I think, you, you know, you could take like far too deep and, feel like that's probably the heaviest song on a Joel Hoekstra's 13 record. And it really was, you know, oddly enough, the first single off of this <laughs> one. So. But, uh, but yeah, you know, uh, the ballad thing is, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I want a couple of those represented. I don't want to, I don't want to release an album of 11 songs that are all at the same tempo and feel, you know, yeah. I like to have a little bit of variety, not a little bit of variety. I like a lot of variety. Um, so Serafino probably, uh, you know, just is being really cool and letting me do what I want and just going like, hey, we know it's going to be good. Don't worry. They were very little. Um, there was very little critique in terms of anything I was turning into them. They were into everything that I put out. And um, so, you know, thanks to those guys. I appreciate all that, you know, the artistic freedom and everything. Is songwriting therapeutic for you, Joel? I'm sure, like everybody else, it's based on experiences of life experiences or things that are going on today. Yeah, I mean, the, 
these are my these are my uh, opportunity to make an artistic statement you know um where i've i'm the one to have written the lyrics and the vocal melodies etc um most things that i'm a part of i'm not involved in that like you know revolution saints is something that's primarily i contributed riffs on one of the songs on this eagle flight record that came out april 21st that i would also encourage people to check out with dean castronovo d uh, jeff pilson and myself um great record you know and i uh, and i love being a part of things where i don't have to do everything as well i'm not like you know um mussolini i'm not like you know some kind of crazy dictator um and i love i love you know iconic is something with michael sweet and tommy aldrich mark I got that one right here somewhere and, yeah so that's that's one where I contribute the guitar riffs, like on the range to Michael. Michael kind of arranges them and adds or subtracts. And then that goes to Nathan and Alessandro to write lyrics and vocal melodies. So that's very collaborative, iconic. Um, uh, but it's nice every once in a while to have something that's just more your baby. And you're like, look, this is like I've written everything on this. Um, so that's for me, that's what Joel Hoekstra's 13 is about. And not necessarily about showcasing, you know, my guitar shredding or anything like that. I like to have cool guitar solos, don't get me wrong, but like you'll notice there's no like, well, he's been carrying on for two and a half minutes here on the outro. <laughs> yeah, right. No, 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 it's not like that. No know. instrumental songs or anything like that. For me, it's I'm just looking to release good quality classic rock, you know, and I've got great musicians on there. The sonics of it are handled really well by Chris Collier, the mixing and mastering. You know, it's they're great sounding records. And uh, so I just I try to approach them from the standpoint of a listener more than a guitarist, if that makes sense. Like yeah, when if I, if I were to get a, a hard rock record, what would be the stuff that I'd get off on? And that's what I like to put on there. And, and for me, that's songs. You know, I've always been a little bit more song based than people would imagine as a as a guitarist, you know, I, I don't necessarily get off on listening to a guitar solo for minutes at a time. I kind of like, you know, hearing a cool song with maybe a cool guitar solo and some cool parts, you know, but um, not necessarily like hearing a guitar solo on and on and on. That doesn't necessarily float my boat. How are you able to remember all these riffs for different bands? I'm like, my goodness. I mean, yeah, I'm sure when you're in a hotel room and you're looking at the set list of who you're playing with, you probably I know you're probably practicing and saying, okay, I got to switch gears. I just done share. Now I'm back to White Snake. And then we got TSO following it. Is is that how the how you're thinking pretty much to keep you fresh? Uh, I usually eye up the calendar and I eye like what date realistically I got to start prepping for certain gigs and add that into my daily routine. You know, there's always some kind of daily plan as far as like what I'm going to be working on musically. And so, um, yeah, it starts to factor itself in there, you know, as things approach. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's a lot of prep work. I'm usually somebody that does a lot of homework. I don't go in and just wing it. I usually like to be the guy who's done the most homework of everybody, hopefully. And that's why you're probably one of the biggest guys in demand, your your adaptability and uh, you really care, your work ethic, as I mentioned before. It, uh, I mean, it, it obviously shows. Um, you've released instrumental albums, but I wanted to talk about VHF in a minute. Um, but besides not having lyrics, Joel, what's the determining factor that makes a song an instrumental? I mean, yeah, if you're going to write an instrumental album, I get all that. But 
have you ever like wrote something like maybe for crash of life and said hmm doesn't fit really you know i saved that for another day how does that how does that fit in um well i mean as far as writing instrumental music i kind of went down that path um because of a couple of my mentors with uh, tj homework and brett garson so in the early 2000s you know i was kind of hanging out with those guys and they were working with a fantastic rhythm section with virgil donati on drums and rick fiorabracci on bass and those guys said hey you know you sound great if you ever want to release an album you know keep us in mind and i thought this is probably something i should do um so I released Undefined in, in 2001, I believe, recorded it in 2000, but I think it was released 2001, and I followed that up with The Moon Is Falling in 2003. And then I also do a lot of practicing on acoustic guitar and had this kind of collection of chord melody songs that I had just kind of hanging out on my sofa. And I thought I should really document all this stuff. <laughs> and so I recorded what, what was called 13 acoustic songs just under Joel Hoekstra because it sounded, they were instrumental albums, you know? And so I, those three instrumental albums did really well, but then, you know, all of a sudden you join Night Ranger at that time, Rock of Ages, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, then join Whitesnake. And I get, you know, fans asking, hey, how come your solo records are kind of this like jazz fusion stuff or like acoustic? Like you ever think of releasing a rock album? And, I, and that's really the concept. That's really where Joel Hoekstra's 13 came from. And, and yeah, I always did want to do that. That was always on the agenda. It just was like, yes, I guess it makes sense for now to get busy with that because I would like to release some um albums but i want to make it about songs i don't want to make right. it about so if you notice this stuff is kind of modeled to sound like a band right um i mean when you listen to it it sounds like a band's album it doesn't sound like some guitar players album. no not at all um, uh so the hitch being is that i'm we're doing all the writing so it's not cool to those guys to call it a band and say hey this is a band because it's my opportunity to, so that's why I gave it the Joel Hooksher's 13 name. I thought that differentiated itself from a solo album per se, where it's instrumental stuff. It's understood that this is my rock side project. Joel Hooksher's 13 is my rock side project. That's, that's, you know, where I'm going to release something that kind of sounds like you're listening to a band, you know, but the difference is I'm doing, I get to be the boss, you know, and do all the, all the, you know, writing and and last call on artwork last call on the audio on the mix and everything it seems like the trend these days right after covid uh I, as i said earlier i love playing just the new music because that's what folks like you you do you create new music it's just odd that you just couldn't perform and go on tour you released an album release an ep go on tour and promote it with the whole covid thing it kind of shut down but i was like no get it out now keep getting it out so the folks by the third song, they're not going to the bathroom when you say, okay, I got a new song coming out and people go to take a leak and grab a beer. They all know it, but uh, it, it seems to be the the trend. Like I, I've been, people call it super group. I would think you have an all-star lineup, obviously with Vinny and Derek and, and the wonderful Tony Franklin, which I'll lead into. Speaking of instrumentals, I had the, the, the pleasure and honor of interviewing Tony when VHF came out, very high frequency and what a masterpiece I mean, oh my God, suspended automation. I mean, just killer, hard hitting groove, instrumental, hard rock, metal. Um, any more of a, maybe a second album coming out? You know, that's kind of up to Todd Vinciguerra. Todd was my one of my old roommates when I lived in Hollywood um, years ago. And so 
the way that VHF album was built was another interesting songwriting process. He just laid down drum grooves and then he had Tony improvise to it. And so Tony kind of created what would be some kind of song structure. And then it came to me. And so from there, I kind of built all those layers and did all those little interesting psychedelic sounds with talking or kind of even singing a bit at times on some of that stuff. Um, but weird guitar sounds and, you know, playing, you know, little psychedelic lines on banjo and things like that. And uh, so that stuff was kind of built in an interesting way. And that's really kind of Todd's, the kind of the leader of that particular project. So um, that's up to him. He, there's definitely been talk of doing another one, um, but it just never seems to come to fruition. You know, I think it's, it's cool to have that out there as like part of my legacy and things that I've done. And as you look at like, you know, the body of work all the way from, you know, playing with somebody like Cher or being in a Broadway show, Rock of Ages, having this kind of weird psychedelic, instrumental rock out with that and, and my instrumental albums and my Joel Oaks 13 revolution saints, iconic trans Siberian orchestra, you know, all that stuff, kind of the, the body of work hopefully adds up to something that people can look at and respect and go, well, you know, um, he wasn't like a one trick pony, you know, oh, no. it's not like, <laughs> it's not like I survived all these different gigs by knowing like four or five licks, you know? Right. So um, you know, I think it speaks to hopefully in the end to people that like I had some versatility and some musical ability to be able to um, pull all that off. Absolutely. I just I said to Tony, I mean, there's nothing like this. I mean, they caught my attention and I'm like, wow, this is so cool. And I did ask Tony, I'm going to hopefully see him in a few months. He's not always with Lou Graham. I catch him in Connecticut, but he kind of said the same thing. It's really up to Todd and or Vinny, whatever we want to call these days. But it was it was really cool. I just like all the sounds. I'm like, what is this? But it was cool. I know we're running out of time here. There's so much to talk about. I got to ask about White Snake. How's David doing these days? It kind of scared us all with the farewell thing. And then obviously his health is number one and everybody understands that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he's, you know, he's in good health and good spirits and um, you know, I don't really have any insight in terms of anything, any kind of scoop for anybody, obviously, yeah, no. you know, my comment is always like, you know, that's obviously always going to be up to David, whether or not he would want to get back out and play again or whether he just wants to, um, I, you know, look, what, the bottom line with that is like whatever David wants to do, I'm there. Uh, we still have a great relationship. You know, I consider David to be a friend of mine in addition to being a, you know, coworker or boss or whatever, you know, we, we get on great and, um, whatever his vision is for Whitesnake, which he's busted his ass for uh, many, many years to build. Like, I mean, I, I'm just a small piece of that story. So, I mean, he's got my support with whatever he wants to do. Um, and, you know, if he says he, he doesn't want to get back out and play, then, you know, obviously I'd be a bit sad, but I would fully support that. He's earned the right to do what he wants to do at this point in time. You know, I think everybody should respect that. Um, David's Absolutely. had an amazing career. I mean, you, what what more what more could somebody <laughs> expect out of the music business than what David's achieved? You know, I mean, he's done a that's a remarkable career. So, you know, whatever he's got in mind uh, for for Whitesnake, I'm I'm there. He's got my support. 
Uh, we like to see him do one more round or a couple shows here or there. I love his sense of humor on Twitter. It's like, what is this? Is this David really of the the stuff that he puts on? Yeah, here is pretty yeah funny. well, you know, he's, he's he's so regal sounding, and uh, you know, with his his voice and whatnot, that I think people um, expect him to be more serious. But David's quite often very much about the laughs. He's a real entertaining guy, very very fun to hang out with, and we have a blast. And um, he's got a terrific sense of humor yeah if you follow him on twitter you know that's where you kind of realize oh gosh he's a lot about the laughs isn't he <laughs> well he, he's he's really that way in person as well um like when you're working you know lots of fun and um so he's able to present himself as this very polished you know regal guy but he's also got this terrific sense of humor that is just kind of got us all laughing all the time as well so he's a great great guy man great great Wonderful, wonderful human. Uh, we wish him the best. I love flesh and blood. I think I told you, uh, shut up and kiss me. Hey, you, some of the songs I played. Good to see you again. I thought it was a great opening song. Like, you know, they, you guys take the stage and you bang that thing out. It's like, so we hope to see David back on the road. Obviously, I love Iconic. I love Revolution Saints. I got crap all over the place. And I love the campfire acoustic with obviously Brandon Gibbs and for folks local. Joel and Brandon are coming back to Daryl's house September 10. Go get your table today because I know I got mine already. Daryl'sHouseClub.com or you can go to, I'm sure, Joel's uh, or Brandon's uh, website and check out all the tours for that. It was a lot of fun. And you just never know who's going to pop on stage with those guys, right? That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Last time Chris Caffrey joined us there. Well, the, the amazing thing about playing with Brandon is this just started out as something that we would do periodically for fun when neither of us had anything else. And then this year it actually started to evolve into like something that we did a lot of and even just did a two week tour of the UK um, and Ireland as well. So, um, you know, some talk of doing Europe and maybe looking at trying to do Japan. And so suddenly this little, this fun little acoustic gig is like got a lot of momentum and people are, um, still really getting behind it. I think they recognize the beauty of the, those intimate shows really draw the diehard fans. And it gives me an opportunity to connect with the people that actually care about like what it is I'm doing where at a, you go to a huge TSO show, there's a fair, you know, yeah, percentage of people who probably don't know who my name, what my name is when they're leaving or nah, don't be, don't underestimate yourself. I mean, the casual fan. Well, I mean, you're somebody who's one of the diehards. So anyway, it's great for to do those gigs because it gives you the opportunity to connect with those people. Yeah. It's, it's such a cool, like I said, I just hung out with Jeff, uh, Scott Soto and Jason Bueller in New York city in this little out of hole in the wall. And it's just so cool to have them guys just up there, have fun, hang out with them for five minutes, and, and it's a good time. So I encourage yeah. everybody to go check you out. If there, I got to ask you before I let you go. Is there a concert or a show that you want to see? Like if you wanted to take your wife out and take a breather away, is there a show somebody besides Taylor Swift maybe? Um, is there somebody out there that you would go, man, I, I want to play with this guy, girl. I want to see them live. Anybody uh, on your on your to do list? Uh, you know, I spend so much time working on music that usually once I'm done with my eight ten hour day with a guitar in my <laughs> hands or whatever, I'm kind of like anything but music. So you know, I'd personally rather go to an NBA game. Or I something. was going to say, who's going to win the championship? Miami, I tell you. 
I don't know. The game two is surprising seeing them come back and take it. I kind of thought Denver, I'm I'm still probably picking Denver in the end, but um, I'm a big Jimmy Butler fan. I'm from the Birds of Chicago and watched him work his way from, you know, being a bench player to being the star that he is right now. So through hard work. So there's a lot mirrored there with my, you know, work in the music business. So a lot lot of respect for Jimmy Butler, man. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I mean, if they they missed like 11 three-pointers in the first game, and if they made a half a dozen of them, they probably would have took that, but who knows. Joel, thank you so much for your time. As always, I hope you enjoyed the crazy chat as I have, and certainly uh, wish you the best success with Crash of Life, and I hope everybody goes. They go to Frontiers Music, SRL, Joel, to download, hit their uh, digital streaming platforms, I would say. Yeah, I mean, there's an actual link that I don't have directly in front of me for, you know, all the streaming services and and the videos all on one page and everything. But unfortunately, I don't have that link directly in front of me at the moment. That's okay. I know you can go to Frontier because they got all the new releases as and, and certainly that album. Joel, thank you so much. Much success. And I can't wait to see you at Daryl's again so we can do it again. Looking forward to it, brother. Thank you for your time. You got it, Joel. Thank you, buddy. Be safe and well. You too, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye.